Welcome to this edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment Service for the Blind, which includes anyone with a visual impairment who is unable to read a newspaper. We do have the permission from the Worcester News and our recording on Tuesday, April the 27th. Where's the year going? I'm Elizabeth Hill and today there is just uh, John Plush in the um, engineer's Booth and myself reading. Clerical work will be done by Carol Hartle and her team. And music is by Sheila Joins. And Thought for the Week by Keir Aldis. May I extend a very warm welcome to any new listeners. We hope you enjoy our offering, which we hope will inform, educate and entertain. We have some emergency telephone numbers. Thought for the Week... We'll open the birthday book, and if we don't have yours, do let us know. I have the headlines from the past week with sunrise and sunset times, and the obituaries will be read after the final music. I'll also have a memory lane slot from Michael Grundy and a couple of sports items. The service is quite free to users. We are a registered charity. If you would like to make a donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR51DA, or of course added to your wallet. And we do thank those of you who have very kindly uh, sent in donations. Uh, We really are grateful and it does help keep the service running because equipment costs money. In addition to the newspaper recordings, uh, we do record a magazine and have an extensive library of talking books. If you would like a book, do put a note in your wallet or leave a message on the answer phone 01905 767766. But do be aware, we're not here every day. Leave a message on the answer phone. We will get back to you. We do like to hear from you, whether it's a complaint or a compliment. Uh, And we have had quite a number of compliments in recent weeks and we're very grateful for those. It does uh, give us a boost and helps keep us going. Uh, Just put a note in your uh, wallet. Um, uh, Any observations are always useful. And we hope you've all managed to um, reply to our uh, listener survey. Um, So I'm actually now going to uh, give you the uh, emergency and useful telephone numbers. So here at Colin Chance House, as I've said, it's 01905 767766. For NHS Direct, if you have a health issue that isn't necessarily an emergency, uh, it's 111. For out-of-hours medical assistance between 6 and 8pm, it's 0300 12 For any information regarding the City Council, the Worcester Hub is 01905 765 765. Crime Stoppers to report anything untoward to the police is 0800 555 one. Worcestershire County Council have set up a Here to Help line, which is 01905 768 
0053 and you need option 3. And for any information on fire safety, the community risk team is 0800 032-1155 and uh, I'm not certain, I haven't looked up uh, whether Dee Jones is starting her walking group for visually impaired um, The Sense of Adventure but her phone number is 01684 891297 or mobile 07920-144614 and that's a walking group which she may have well um, started again or be thinking about starting now we are allowed to go out and about a little bit more. I'm just going to add in a couple of reminders about vaccination. You will receive a message from your surgery about vaccinations. You don't have to pay and um, the uh, University of Worcester at Riverside are now doing lateral flow tests if you need one, if you don't have any symptoms, but you do need to book. I'm also going to do my reminder about scams. Cold callers don't accept any offers of work. It might not be necessary. People who just come and knock on your door and say this, that or the other needs doing, uh, please don't accept those um, offers. Telephone calls, please do not give any details of bank accounts over the phone and don't dial another number which they might request you to do. They stay on the line and um, again it's a scam. If you want to remove that number, dial 1572 and follow the directions that uh, are given. So... Um, I will open the birthday book and this week quite a number of birthdays. On the 1st of May is Dorothy Ball, on the 6th is Marilyn Kendall, the 7th is uh, Evelyn Stevens, on the 8th is Cynthia Walker and Barbara Moss and on the 9th Jane Staples. So wishing all of those uh, ladies, yeah, all of those ladies, a very happy birthday. Now we'll go to the headlines for this week. Teacher is home from China hell. Council says no to cafes outside seats. £20,000 needed in fight to save medic's life. Why no arrest for brutal city attack? Plan for eyesores? And fighting bullying is a memorial to Felix. The sunrise is now 5.54am and sunset 8.28pm. And the first headline story. A beloved teacher and father has been flown back to the city following four agonising months trapped alone in a hospital in China. Bob Allison, 68, has finally been able to return to Worcester following a fundraising campaign that, which raised more than £54,000. Claire Allison, 32, set up the GoFundMe on March the 16th and reached her goal of £40,000 within six hours 
but has only just managed to arrange to get her beloved father back into the country. She said her father arrived in the UK with the assistance of a Chinese repatriation team and was transferred to the stroke unit at Worcestershire Royal Hospital. She says, I spoke to him briefly en route. He coped well with the journey and seems in good spirits, she said on the fundraising page. She thanked people for their support and donations and said the funds had been invaluable in covering her father's medical fees and journey. Mr Allison taught in Worcester schools for 40 years and had been working in a middle school in Yangzhou, uh, eastern China, more than 5,500 miles away from his home city, before suffering from a stroke on January the 4th this year. Miss Allison told the Worcester News previously, Over the last few months of 2020, Dad's health deteriorated significantly and he suffered from confusion and several accidents, culminating in this stroke at the very start of this year. Since January, he has been receiving treatment at Yangzhou Hospital, but despite two months of rehabilitation, he is still unable to stand or walk independently. The stroke has left him largely immobile in the left side of his body. He also has a worryingly high blood platelet count, leaving him at high risk of having another stroke. He is also very low mentally. I worry that the longer he is left there, the worse he will get. He's confused and depressed. Doesn't know why he can't come home, no matter how much I try to explain. I'm trying my best. It is the recommendation of the Chinese hospital that he is transferred back to the UK as soon as possible in order to receive the best possible treatment. But with borders closed and the Chinese embassy not issuing entry visas, our best hope of getting him back to the UK is to go down an official repatriation route. However, with few, few commercial flights currently available and commercial compulsory 14-day quarantine periods, this is likely to come at an extremely high cost. So Miss Allison added she was she's so overwhelmed by the generosity shown by the community. We didn't ever expect it to take off like it has. We felt guilty for setting up the page. We wanted to find the money ourselves, but with no end in sight and the mounting costs, we realised we needed help. I never dreamed that we would hit our goal in such a short amount of time. I'm so grateful. This money will make a huge difference. It just goes to show how many people Dad touched during his career. It is such a relief to know that we can now do all we can to bring him home. We really appreciate him. And it's great to know that he's home again now. A cafe owner in Worcester has said he is concerned for his business after the City Council rejected his application to provide outdoor seating to serve customers. Francini Osorio, the owner of Francini Café di Columbia coffee shop in Angel Place in the city centre, paid £100 to submit an application to Worcester City Council so he could provide seating on the pavement outside the front of his cafe for customers after lockdown restrictions were eased on Monday, April the 12th. The application was rejected by the City Council, which cited the safety of pedestrians on the pavement as the primary reason.
Mr. Osorio said, I sent the council an application and pictures to show how the benches outside were going to look. And the pictures show we are not blocking anything in. And it's just to allow us to bring some more customers into the business. The decision is affecting my business big time. And I'm panicking at the moment because I want to be able to stay open for as long as I can. The Worcester Cafe has provided a takeaway service throughout much of the pandemic. But Mr Osorio said he doesn't know why customers can't sit in the outside area he has earmarked after sending the pictures to the council. I think it's unfair, he said. We are in a situation where we have been struggling like every single human being on this planet over the last year. And sometimes you need to be more flexible. It's only a couple of benches and stools that we want to have outside so I can have some more customers at my business and stay open. It feels like everyone can take advantage of this seating but me. I pay taxes like everybody else, so I feel like I should be allowed to have a little bit of freedom to keep my business going. I don't know why they can't make an exception for a few weeks, or at least give me another option, but they didn't even give me options. A Worcester City Council, Council spokesman said the cafe's application was rejected because the outside seating would have blocked the pavement for people in wheelchairs or pushchairs. Non-essential shops throughout the country reopened their doors on April the 12th as we entered step two of the government's roadmap out of lockdown. Under the new rules, pubs, restaurants and cafes are allowed to reopen outdoors. Indoor seating will be allowed from May the 17th, although customers will only be allowed to be with one other household or in a group of six. Mrs Sorio added, we may be able to recover the business when we are able to sit people inside, but having seating outside would give the business a little bit of a push. In response, Worcester City Council spokesman said, we've gone to great lengths to support the reopening of city centre businesses and are pleased to have given licences for 23 cafes, bars and restaurants to have outside seating or extend the outside seating areas they already had, helping to ensure Worcester is leading the way in the country's economic recovery. The safety of pedestrians is the biggest consideration for pavement licences, and we need to ensure there is sufficient space for people to be able to get past outside seating areas with prams, pushchairs and wheelchairs, without needing to step into the road. Where that is not possible, we have no choice but to turn down a licence application. The family of a Worcester woman who has spent her career saving lives are now appealing for the public's help to save hers. Christine Gill, 53, who has spent more than 30 years in the West Midlands Ambulance Service, has been diagnosed with stage 4 esophageal cancer and needs specialist treatment. To fund this, the family needs £20,000, as her treatment is only available privately. On the family's GoFundMe page, it says, Our wife, mother, nana, friend and mentor Christine Gill has sadly been diagnosed with stage 4 GI junction esophageal cancer. She was told that she was in the top 25% that could possibly be cured. The tumour was advanced but localised. 
The multidisciplinary team have now stated that surgery and radiotherapy is not an option under the NHS, but they will be doing EOX chemotherapy as part of palliative care. Following some research, the family found out about alternative treatments, which unfortunately must be privately funded. The family added, We are asking you for anything that you could spare to help her fight this battle. All of your kind donations will be used to fund private treatment and things that will assist Christine in having an easier life through this horrible time. Christine's goal is to beat this and get her uniform back on to save more lives. Thank you so much. Originally joining the ambulance service in 1984 as a control room assistant, Mrs Gill rose through the ranks and became an officer, overseeing the running of the control room. In 1997, she changed careers, training as an ambulance technician for two years before becoming a paramedic in 1999. Since then, she has mentored hundreds of staff and trainees in a number of Midlands universities. She also became head of clinical practice for women and children in the service, which saw her sent to India to work in the slums with children. The family added, After a lifetime of helping people and only having retired for three years, Christine needs our help. And uh, there's a donation, donate at just-giving.com forward slash crowdfunding forward slash Bethany hyphen May hyphen Curtis. Police have been criticised by a man who claims they did not act on witness accounts of three men stamping on and beating another man in Tolladine Road. The incident was attended by police and ambulance after reports of an assault on the grounds of the Texaco garage at around 7pm on Sunday, April the 18th. Resident Azad Hussein said he called police when he saw the alleged assault and then called 101 after officers had arrived to express concern that the three men, who he says fled back into the garage shop, had not been arrested. Mr Hussein said that happened after a flurry of people sitting outside the Virgin Tavern on the opposite side of the road had intervened, although he stressed no one other than the three men had been involved in the assault. Two further witnesses, who did not wish to be identified, separately corroborated much of Mr Hussein's account, but neither passed comment on whether they believed police had spoken to the alleged culprits. I witnessed three males of Asian descent assaulting, stamping on and beating a man on the grounds of the Texaco garage from my home, said Mr Hussein who estimated that four or five officers attended the scene. I told them the officers were concentrating on the white male, who, yes, was presenting as intoxicated. He was agitated because he had been provoked. The police turned up and were presented with a male. They didn't look at the whole picture. They were just concentrating on the white male because he was drunk and agitated. They were not aware of what went on prior to their arrival and they should have looked at that. People were shouting and pointing at the garage saying the three guys were in there and to arrest them. 
People from the pub had come across. There were plenty of cars, and I don't know whether or not people were inside, but the police were aware, because I phoned 101 and voiced my concerns, that they were still in there. I was in a catch-22. I always get asked not to get involved, and I don't want to upset anyone. I kept my distance, so there would be no excuses, brackets, for him being dragged into any altercation, end of brackets. Mr Hussain also claims there has been activity that he and members of the community find concerning at the garage and that this incident has only fuelled those suspicions. I have witnessed them taking cars around the back late at night, he added. There are things going on and the community at large believes the police hasn't done anything about them. People have a lot of things going on in their minds because they did not arrest those three men in front of everyone when they were being told by so many people what had happened. That is the part we cannot understand. Nothing was done. They, the alleged culprits, left in their Audi at about 10pm. West Mercia Police confirmed no arrests have been made but continue to appeal for witnesses as they actively investigate what happened. They said, we received reports of an assault taking place near to a garage on Tolladyne Road at just after 7pm on Sunday, April 18th. No arrests have currently been made. Officers spoke to several people and are continuing to actively investigate the assault. We would urge any witnesses of the assault to report what they saw via the West Mercia Police website. Management at the Virgin Tavern declined to comment as did staff at the Texaco garage. If you hear any banging and bumping in the background, we actually are having a new window fitted and the gentleman has arrived um, at an inconvenient moment. Uh, He wasn't due until later on. Plans to revitalise several eyesore city centre buildings have been kicked about for a number of years. But what are they and when will they happen? The biggest shake-up of the city centre in recent months, which will see dozens of empty and decaying buildings brought back into use, are the multi-million pound plans to spruce up Angel Place and the rest of the northern side of the city centre. Long-term empty buildings, such as the former Images nightclub in the Butts, is due to be demolished and transformed into student housing. And there are also plans to reopen the historic Gaumont Theatre as a new music venue. Worcester City Council is looking to purchase key city centre properties, Trinity House, the Scala Theatre and the former Panama Jacks restaurant in Angel Place as part of the £17.9 million Future High Street Fund money awarded to the city at the end of last year. The council has already bought the former co-op supermarket in Angel Street, which, it said, could be used for offices and a dining club. Plans to turn the building into a Victorian-style gin palace were rejected by the council in 2017, and it still remains empty. The city council says once purchased, Trinity House would become apartments. Worcestershire County Council sold the building in 2014 after moving its archive and archaeology department to the Hive. 
The city's historic Scala Theatre is already set to be brought back into use as an arts venue, alongside the neighbouring Grade 2 listed Corn Exchange, which the, the council has already agreed terms over buying. Thornilow Development has permission to demolish the decaying former nightclub images in the Butts, with plans to build a seven-storey student accommodation building delayed due to the pandemic. Worcester-born actor Sam Barriscale revealed plans to bring the historic Gaumont Theatre in Forget Street back to life as a music venue, emulating its history when it hosted some of, some of the biggest acts in the 1960s and 70s. Mr Barriscale, who had been working for two years to transform the Scala into an art cinema, turned his attention to the Gaumont after the plans fell through. The former Art Deco cinema closed permanently in July last year when Buzz Bingo Club announced it would be shutting several venues due to Covid. A mum whose son took his own life, aged just 17, has vowed to continue her work to prevent other families suffering the same heartbreak five years on from his death. In an open letter, Lucy Alexander said her son Felix killed himself at the age of 17 as he could no longer see a way to be happy, but she wants his legacy to be one that helps promote a kinder society. The sixth form student was pronounced dead after being hit by a train at Abbotswood Junction, Norton, near his home in Worcester on April the 27th, 2016. His funeral at St Stephen's Church that May was standing room only and senior Worcestershire coroner Grant Williams recorded a verdict of suicide during an inquest into Felix's death in July. Felix's mum has gone on to become a prominent anti-bullying campaigner after highlighting the online abuse Felix suffered in the run-up to his death. Speaking about the five-year anniversary of his death, Miss Alexander said it was a difficult time for the family and they will be marking it privately together. But she wanted to thank the people of Worcester who continue to support them. She said, I feel his legacy should not be how he died, but, di but the changes that are made in his name. I never want another family to go through it. It is the most painful thing in the world. Writing in an open letter published in um, Today, Tuesday's Worcester News, Miss Alexander also speaks of her work during the past five years, becoming an ambassador for the Place to Be charity, which led to her meeting Prince William for his anti-cyberbullying campaign work, giving talks in schools to pupils across Worcestershire and the country, and supporting ITV's This Morning's Be Kind campaign. In the letter, the 55-year-old writes, His unhappiness stemmed from years of unkind behaviour, both in person and online, and I felt compelled to try to give him the voice that he did not feel he had. I wanted to try to help people, particularly young people, connect the dots of their online actions to the very real-life consequences. Their thoughtless words may very well be someone else's last straw. Mental health is now talked about more than ever before and its importance is better recognised, never more so than in this last year of pandemic. 
We need to make sure that this awareness is backed by action and support. Nurse Miss Alexander went part-time last year, giving her more time to spend on her campaign work, which she says she is determined to continue. Speaking about working with the charity, she told us, It is not just the children we support, it is the parents and the teachers. Place to be, don't just look at the child, they look at the whole picture. They have a lot of free information on the website, which is place and then a number two, b, b-e, dot org dot uk. Particularly put there on there this last year. Miss Alexander said her place to remember her son over over the years has been a tree at her home planted after his death. It was planted in my garden in the June we lost Felix. It is my place to remember him. It blooms in April, she said. Miss Alexander has also shared new pictures of her son for the anniversary, including a black and white picture taken by his friend, Jake Spencer. And that concludes the headline stories. Um, I now will read you the... um, letter uh, that she has sent um, today. The mum of the Worcester teenager who took his own life after being bullied has penned this powerful open letter. April 27th, 2021 marks five years since losing Felix. My beautiful 17-year-old son took his own life as he could no longer see a way to be happy. After his death, I wrote an open letter to Worcester News as his unhappiness stemmed from years of unkind behaviour, both in person and online, and I felt compelled to try to give him the voice that he did not feel he had. My letter was an appeal for kindness in an increasingly unkind world. The advent of social media has meant that everyone has an audience where they can vent their opinion without censure or filter. I wanted to try to help people, particularly young people, connect the dots of their online actions to the very real-life consequences. Their thoughtless words may well be someone else's last straw. During the last five years, I have collaborated with the charity Place to Be, and I'm very proud to be an ambassador for them. The charity supports young people in schools so that issues that develop in childhood are recognised and dealt with, so they have a good chance of a happier, healthy adult life. I truly believe that children are not inherently bad, and there is always a reason for bad behaviour. Early intervention can help children understand their behaviour and help guide them towards better choices. My ultimate aim is to bring a hub for place to be to Worcestershire, so that children, parents and teachers can be better supported in school. BBC Hereford and Worcester helped me launch Felix's campaign of kindness, which began at Pershaw High School, where Felix attended the sixth form. I talked to the school as a whole about bullying behaviour, what it entails and what they can do to stop other young people feeling the way Felix did. This has led me to talk in dozens of other schools and Felix's story seems to have had a really positive impact on pupils and their understanding of unkind behaviour and how to support each other. 
I was also asked by His Royal Highness the Duke of Cambridge to support the Royal Foundation's Cyber Bullying Task Force, which targeted social media companies, asking them to protect and support young people online. There has been progress in this, but as you will all be aware, there is still much work to do to make these big companies take some responsibility for the safety of everyone online. I have also been involved in this morning's Be Kind campaign, which worked alongside the Diana Award Anti-Bullying Pro Charity to promote kinder behaviour in schools. Young people really have the power to change the world. If we begin to give them ownership of this when they are young, then they will take these behaviours into adulthood. Has any of this work had an impact? Mental health is now talked about more than ever, and its importance is better recognised, never more so than in this last year of pandemic. Staying at home has meant that everyone has had time to spend has had to spend more time online to work, study and connect with others. This has been both positive and negative. We have been forced to find new ways of working, which has been great for some, but has, it has also been a source of anxiety and problems for others. We are aware that there is going to be fallout as a result of this unprecedented year, and there is a huge need for mental health service support, which was already underfunded and struggling to cope. Massive financial input is the only way that a mental health crisis will be averted. Online harms are now being recognised as an issue, and the sad loss of Caroline Flack really highlighted this. But this doesn't seem to have stopped the torrent of abuse that people, including celebrities, receive online. Freedom of speech comes with responsibility, and people need to take ownership of this. Actions have consequences. There has been much positive change, and there is much more awareness of mental health, suicide and bullying behaviours. But we cannot just pay lip service to this. We need to make sure that this awareness is backed by action and support. I would like to take this opportunity to say thank you to the community of Worcester who have and continue to support me and my family after our heartbreaking loss. I hope that Felix's legacy will be that he helped promote a kinder society. And now to more general news. A hotel near Droitwich, which was devastated by fire nearly 12 months ago, is close to reopening. The travel lodge at Witchbold was the scene of a dramatic blaze in June 2020, which saw most of the hotel's roof collapse. Since then, work has been ongoing to rebuild it, with the roof covered in scaffolding for most of that time. Now, though, Travel Lodge has confirmed the hotel is nearly complete and will welcome guests back later this year. A spokesman said, I draw to which Travel Lodge Hotel is currently undergoing refurbishment and scheduled to open later this year. In the meantime, we do have four other hotels dotted around Worcestershire. Our Hartlebury Travel Lodge is currently open to provide accommodation for workers who are allowed to travel and our other hotels at Bromsgrove, uh, Marlbrook at Worcester 
are getting ready to welcome back leisure customers from May the 17th, 2021. We reported last year how the blaze forced the A38 to close in both directions as five crews of firefighters tried to tackle the inferno. A spokesman for Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue Service said that they had a call at 10.21am to a fire at the travel lodge in Droitwich, in the roof space of the two-storey building. They said, we initially fought the fire with hose reel jets and used thermal imaging camera. Two crews were using breathing apparatus. There were no casualties as the travel lodge was closed because of the pandemic. They were literally going to open up that day. Police were on the scene directing traffic and they were encouraging people to avoid the area. At one stage, there were eight fire engines at the scene, with the fire service tweeting, Building fire involving hotel at Rushwood off A38 and specialist appliances in attendance. Please avoid area due to heavy traffic. Criminals jailed this month include a gang who used a car as a weapon in Worcester, a man who headbutted a female police officer at the city's hospital, and a thug who knocked a 16-year-old girl unconscious. Marius Anton Roman mounted the pavement in his Mercedes in the city's Vincent Road, shattering the shin bone of former friend Madeleine Oanta. His accomplices, um, aged uh, 19 and uh, 20, then jumped out of the Mercedes and rained down punches and kicks on the clearly injured and by now helpless Mr Oanta in front of horrified onlookers. Roman, 33, was jailed for ten and a half years at Worcester Crown Court for inflicting grievous bodily harm with intent, Section 18, on August the 2nd last year. Tudor and Stefanescu were both jailed for 17 months for assault and occasioning actual bodily harm. All three face automatic deportation to Romania. Helmo Amaral Fernandez was jailed for five months after he headbutted a female police officer and gave her a concussion, whiplash and caused swelling while handcuffed in the back of a police car at Worcestershire Royal Hospital. The customer service assistant of Wood Terrace was jailed for five months at Worcester Crown Court for assault, occasioning actual bodily harm. The headbutt occurred on October the 1st last year after police were called to reports of a male believed to be under the influence of drink or drugs driving erratically in the hospital car park and damaging a number of vehicles. Cornell George, 34, was jailed for 16 months after he stole more than £8,000 worth of goods from Boots in Worcester High Street and it is now expected he will be deported to his native Romania. The Home Secretary is required to deport any foreign national who has received a custodial sentence of at least 12 months, unless a specified exception um, applies. In total, he stole £8,227 worth of goods from Boots during three separate raids, in which he made off with cosmetics and other products, including toothbrush heads, number seven skincare creams, mascara and razor blades, emptying them into carrier bags and gift bags. 
Jamie Whittingham, 28, of St Martin's Avenue in Hereford, was jailed for 23 months for two separate attacks, one on an ex-partner and the other on a girl of 16, whom he knocked unconscious. A barber shop in Worcester will reopen just days after a flat fire caused the owner to close its doors. Zarin Dodson, the owner of Looking Sharp in New Street, had to close the shop just one week since reopening after a fire broke out at the flat above the shop on Saturday night. Zareen feared the shop might have to close for longer than a week after water damage, but she has now confirmed the shop will reopen. She said, We have been given the go-ahead to open up after safety checks sooner than I expected, so we are happy with this news. Obviously, we are waiting for a few bits of interior to get redone, not much at all, but that's all an ongoing process. Serene added, That was where our worries were with the electrics because of the water that came through the ceiling, but fortunately, it's all fine. There's been no damage to the electrics. Thankfully, it was just interior damage. It's a huge relief because initially I wasn't sure how long we might have to close for. Serene also thanked the community for their support following the incident, including salon owners in the city. She said, A few of the local salon owners reached out to me over Messenger and offered me and Matt, who I work with, seats and sections in their shops for us to work at. The girls at Peel and Adams Barbers and the owner of the avant-garde salons reached out to help. I can't believe how nice they were. Firefighters were called to tackle the blaze at the flat above the Looking Sharp Barber stop Shop on Saturday night. Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue Service said the fire broke out on the terrace of the flat at around 12.45am. There were no casualties following the incident. And here's a little homily from um, the Bishop, the Right Reverend Dr John Inge reflecting on the pandemic. The human cost of the pandemic has been appalling. Alongside the thousands who have died, many more have suffered in so many ways. I was really affected by an Easter message written by an Anglican priest in Northern Ireland to his parishioners, which read, We must learn to live with this virus and for society to go about its business without looking over its shoulder. The future is still unknown. We may have to face further waves of the virus, but it is to the future we must look, in confidence and courage, asking for the confirmation of the Holy Spirit, so that the health of our souls never becomes less than the precautions we take to keep the virus at bay. Jesus said not to fear what can kill the body, but what can kill the soul. If we have vaccinated our bodies, we now need to keep our souls happy and healthy in God. Tragically, that priest died from COVID-19 on April 17th, aged 46, two weeks after penning this message and one week after being admitted to hospital. He leaves a widow and three young children. His point was that we should make time for the healing of our spirit alongside our physical health. Non-essential shops are now open and we can engage in retail therapy. That's good for our sense of well-being as well as the economy. 
I hope, though, that we shall also not lose sight of the need to keep our souls healthy and happy. It was Evelyn Waugh who remarked, on being reminded that money doesn't make you happy, said, Maybe not, but I would rather be rich and unhappy than poor and unhappy. The Bible suggests that both grinding poverty and extreme wealth can be dangerous. Jesus says, What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? I hope that we will all find time to keep our souls happy and healthy in God. A school in Worcester has welcomed its first female head teacher. Kings Horford has seen Jenny Phillips take up the role, also becoming the first woman in the school's foundation's 500-year history to occupy the position. Relocating from Monmouth to Worcester, she is joined by her husband, Eddie, and daughters, Amelia and Daisy, who are joining King's Senior School. Like all heads at the school, the family will live on site at Horford. After taking the time to settle into their new home during the Easter holidays, Mrs Phillips said she is now looking forward to the start of a new term and officially taking over from retiring headteacher Jim Turner. The pair worked together during the spring term prior to Mr Turner's retirement to help with the transition. Mrs Phillips said, On behalf of the Phillips family, I'd like to express my heartfelt thanks for the warmth of the welcome that has been extended to us since arriving here at Horford. We are so excited about this new stage in our lives and very much look forward to getting to know everyone and exploring our beautiful new surroundings. Headmaster of the King's Foundation, Gareth Dudes, said Jeannie Phillips was the outstanding candidate throughout the process and will bring drive, energy and an abundance of enthusiasm to King's Horford. A natural communicator and a passionate educator, Jeannie is also the first female head in our foundation's near 500-year history. Such a milestone is something about which we are extremely proud and I'm looking forward to working with such an inspiring leader in the years to come. Outgoing head teacher Mr Turn announced he was leaving the school after 16 years in March. Mrs Phillips added, I'm absolutely delighted to be joining the team at King's Horford. The school has a wonderful warmth and a sense of community, which is clearly held dear by parents, staff and pupils alike. I very much look forward to getting to know the school community and building on the excellent work of Jim Turner, whilst working closely with Richard Chapman, head of King's St Albans, under the head of our foundation, Carith Dudes. We will work together to provide parents with the choice of two outstanding, vibrant prep schools, learning environments with high aspirations that prepare our pupils well for the next step in their journey, as they move on to King's Worcester at the age of 11. Right, I'm now going to open Mike Grundy's memory lane and uh, this is taken from 1988 and it's entitled City Banker Planned Riverside Park um, and the main headline is Bridge Relic of a Tycoon's Dream and it's about Berwick Bridge. Generations of Worcester people, particularly those living in the southern half of the city, 
will well remember the charming Georgian humpback bridge which used to span Duck Brook near Diglis. Alas, like so much else we would now treasure, it fell victim to the age of the motor car and was pulled down in the 1960s to make way for a wide access road to a new housing development. The ornate Berwick Bridge had stood for nearly 200 years as the gateway to a pleasant walk down to the riverside where weeping willows lined the meandering route of Duck Brook. Having been brought up in the Bath Road and Cherry Orchard area, I look back nostalgically to many a walk over Berwick Bridge and through the withy beds to go hook and line fishing with chums from the old boat hulks sunk into the river's edge nearby. Fascinatingly, the humpback bridge was all that materialised of one man's dream of creating a vast park and lakeland near Diglis. Joseph Berwick, prosperous foundation of the first Worcester Bank, planned in the late 1700s to transform all the land between Bath Road and the river from the Ketch to Cherry Orchard into his grand park. It was to have a big lake fed by Duck Brook with a waterfall as its outlet. Berwick had fond visions of building a prestigious residence for himself and his family on the high ground overlooking the park and commanding noble views across the the Severn Valley to the Mulvans. He took the first step of having the ornate stone bridge built as a key feature of his park, but that was as far as his dream went. For some reason he did not pursue the plan, but remained in his large home at Hallow Park, where he ended his days. The humpback bridge named after him survived for two centuries. In Victorian times, it was still set in the midst of a mainly rural scene and was popular for gentle strolls, particularly by young people at courting. Despite his unfulfilled dream, Joseph Berwick was able to play a significant role in giving Worcester a far more important waterway span. As a highly successful banker, he subscribed £1,000 loan to help construct the new Worcester Bridge over the Severn in 1771. Though considerably widened in 1932, it is still that same bridge which survives as a glorious Georgian legacy today. And now I have a couple of uh, sports items and this is the first one is about the Seven Stars which is the um, ladies netball team based at the University of Worcester. Seven Stars have announced that former Welsh international and Super League player Cara Jones will be stepping out of retirement to join its 2021 Vitality Netball Super League squad as a replacement for the injured Bethan Dyke. Dyke was injured during the first quarter of Stars League clash with Celtic Dragons earlier this month and has still been and has since been confirmed as an ACL rupture, which will require Dyke to sit out the rest of the season. Jones will now be available for selection for Seven Stars' upcoming games against Strathclyde Sirens on April the 25th, which has happened, and Wasps Netball on the 26th of April, which was also uh, on Monday. She originally arrived from Australia as an import player for Super League side 
Celtic Dragons ahead of the 2009-10 season and went on to qualify to play for her adopted nation Wales, gaining more than 50 caps. She has been part of the Celtic Dragons and Team Bath Super League squads for many seasons before retiring in 2019 and will provide stars with a wealth of mid-court experience. Jones said, Joining Seven Stars was an opportunity I couldn't turn down really, to get back out there and play the game I know and love. To be given a round two is something I didn't think would happen. Beth is a great friend and beloved teammate for Wales. I'm just gutted she isn't on the court with me or instead of me, but I know she will be back stronger than ever and can't wait to see her get back out there. I'm looking forward to getting back out on court and seeing what I can do. Having been out of the Super League for almost two years, it will certainly be challenging. I have tried to stay fit, but there is nothing that can prep you for match day games. I can't wait to get involved with this group of talented netballers and I'm looking forward to working with Melissa and the rest of the Stars coaching staff. Seven Stars head coach Melissa Bessel said, I think I've been very lucky in being able to sign Cara Jones. Bottom line is having to replace a player of Bethan Dyke's calibre is extremely difficult. Bethan is a big loss for us, but she is already on the road to recovery and we wish her all the best. As I have been in the country long enough and have very good relationships with a lot of players, I knew that Cara was not playing, not classed as an import, but also has a lot of experience of playing at both V. NSL and international level. For me, it was about making sure I could bring someone to cover the the remainder of the season who could bring experience, knowledge and fit in. Worcester Warriors. Head coach Jonathan Thomas said his team played with pride despite their 32-35 defeat to Sale Sharks at Six Ways. In what was a thrilling encounter between the two sides... Sale outscored Warriors by five tries to four to take the maximum five points from the game, whereas Worcester take two. The defeat was the 14th straight in the league, but Thomas admitted his side restored pride after a few dismal performances in recent weeks. I just really feel for the players, he said. We spoke all week about showing that we care in our performance, Work really hard, have a good attitude, good kick chase, be physical. That's how we framed the week and I thought the boys did that all the way to the death and I just feel really sorry for them. They're giving it their all and this sport can be cruel. As a team we were more connected on both attack and defence. There were a few lapses in the second half where we conceded crucial tries and there were a few key moments that went against us in that second half. But on the whole, a much improved game. We are all disappointed that we lost. The game of rugby is all about moments. You win some and you lose some. But the game is about how you react to those moments you lose. We told the boys to keep fighting, keep working hard, even when the scoreboard was against us. Full credit to them for giving it such a good go at the end. It was a heroic effort and I'm really proud of them. 
Thomas appreciates how challenging it can be when the defeats keep coming, but says this is when you learn most about the individuals within the squad. I have been in this position myself as a player, and it is really difficult, admitted Thomas. It tests your team culture so much when you go through a period like this. It's great when you're winning, but you find out more when you go through what we are. It's difficult when you're losing, but the supporters of this club want to see their players playing for pride, for the jersey, and that's 100% what the players did today. And a report of the actual game itself. A second half hat-trick from Francois Hugard was not enough for Worcester Warriors as they fell agonisingly short against Shale, Sale Sharks in a thrilling Gallagher Premiership clash at six ways, losing 32-35. Despite being behind for 68 minutes, Sale scored second-half tries through Byron McGuigan, Aaron Reid and Daniel Duprez and adding to the first half score from the centre, Connor Doherty, to leave Worcester with maximum points. Hugar's second half treble meant Warriors take two points from the fixture, having managed four tries and for coming within seven points of their opponents. Warriors had matched Sale for the majority of the first half and took the lead after 15 minutes with a long distance penalty from fullback Jamie Shilcock. The pick of the tries came five minutes later as Shilcock showed a full complement of skills during a wonderful solo try before adding another three-pointer to get the hosts off to the perfect start at 8-0. Sale finally got themselves on board with 32 minutes on the clock thanks to centre Connor Doherty's score but the visitors headed into the sheds a man down right on the stroke of half-time, as winger Aaron Reid was sent to the bin for a deliberate knock-on. Shilcock missed the relatively easy kick from the resulting penalty, and the scores remained 11-7 at half-time. It took four minutes for the hosts to make the most of their man advantage when Hugard benefited from a loose ball ten metres out to scamper over, but the visitors came again, and replied quickly through winger Byron McGuigan's try in the corner. Then came the big turning point in the game, when Ollie Lawrence's try was disallowed. Referee Christoph Ridley spent a while looking at the footage on the big screen before coming to the conclusion it was a double movement. The score was scrubbed off, and to Warrior's dismay was compounded with 12 minutes to go when Sale took the lead for the first time, thanks to winger Reed's try. That was quickly followed by replacement prop, Usuthian close-range score, but Hugar's second of the day kept the game alive at 25-28, with 73 minutes on the clock. Sales' Daniel Dupre scored from a quick-tap penalty on 76 minutes before Hugard completed his hat-trick, with under 60 seconds to play. Worcester tried to run from deep with the final play, but the game ended with a Sharks penalty before all 30 played dropped to the floor in exhaustion after a superb display of rugby that will have left all Warriors supporters feeling immensely proud. 
The City Council and a hostel CEO have defended the use of bollard covers carrying pictures of a menacing-looking beggar after the signs were criticised as divisive. The signs have popped up across the city centre as part of the Public Space Protection Order, PSPO, and include a warning against aggressive begging. But some residents have described the artwork on the coverings as divisive and Orwellian, while others said it made the city look like it was unsafe and unwelcoming. A spokesman for the City Council said... The PSPO has been introduced after an extensive public consultation, which attracted more than 2,000 responses. The order aims to protect vulnerable residents and ensure a safe and pleasant environment for everyone who visits by introducing new measures to discourage the intentional feeding of gulls, aggressive begging and dangerous cycling and skateboarding in the city centre. Councils have to make sure residents and visitors are aware of a new PSPO being introduced and of the areas it covers. These bollard covers are an important part of that and will only be in place for a short period. We worked closely with partners including the Worcester Cares, Rough Sleeper Support Affiliation and West Mercia Police regarding the terms and implementation of the order. People found to be begging aggressively will be offered help and support. A fine would only be imposed if they repeatedly refuse to engage with homeless services. CEO of St Paul's Hostel, Jonathan Sutton, added, There will be differing opinions on the artwork, but it is trying to communicate a complicated issue, begging. Nearly all of the people who beg, whether this is aggressively or not, on the streets of Worcester, do so in order to buy illegal drugs, particularly crack cocaine and heroin, and super-strength alcoholic beers and ciders. These drugs cause an extreme deterioration in people's health and even death. This is not about demonising people who have addictions to drugs and alcohol. The PSPO legislation used as a very last resort is to help them get the help they need. We previously reported concerns from cyclists who felt the covers gave a negative portrayal of cyclists in the city centre. Bicycle thefts in Worcester are the worst in the West Midlands, according to new statistics. Government figures on bike thefts show there were 328 thefts per 100,000 people in 2020 in Worcester. This is a long way ahead of the next two in the list, Coventry 119 and Stoke-on-Trent at 110. However, when grouped and split into the UK's 12 regions, the West Midlands ranked as the third lowest number for bike thefts, with its rate standing at 75 per 100,000 on average. In Worcester, new safe storage for bicycles has been installed at the Crowngate Centre, thanks to the efforts of cycling group Bike Worcester. Standard cycle parking benches, a map of Worcester, colour CCTV, a repair station and pump, plus regular security guard patrols, have all been implemented as a deterrent to would-be thieves. Danny Brothwell from Bike Worcester said, As a small city where many journeys can be made by bike in less than 15 minutes, 
Worcester should be ahead of other UK cities in enabling and encouraging active travel and to reap the benefits it brings for us all. The risk of bike theft is undoubtedly one of several barriers to people choosing to make journeys by bike and the City and County Councils should be looking to improve security at locations where bike storage is encouraged or moving them to more appropriate locations. The recently opened facility at Crown Gate Shopping Centre is an excellent example of how a proactive approach and a vision to improving facilities for those choosing active travel, including consultation with experienced users, can provide a quality and secure environment. As individuals, it's important to spend money on good quality locks, consider bike marking and report all thefts to the police. Despite Worcester having the worst figures in the region, the picture in the West Midlands is improving with the number of thefts reported falling in the last few years. Despite a number of statistics showing dramatic rises in bike theft towards the start of the year, the full 2020 data showed that the total number of bikes reported stolen to police in England and Wales was actually lower than the previous three years. A jewellery store has moved to Worcester High Street in a bid to get business booming again, with the new shop set to open this weekend. Steve Watmore, owner of jewellery gift shop Fat Lip, has decided to change premises in a bid to cover from the pandemic. The business had been based in Reindeer Court for 18 years, but will now be in the High Street at the Cathedral Square end, opposite Jules. Mr Watmore said the planned High Street opening date is this coming Saturday, May the 1st. Mr Watmore, who lives in Clanes, said moving his business from Reindeer Court to the High Street would be the jewellery gift shop's best chance of survival. To survive a pandemic, you have to be on the High Street. Rent has come down in the area, and I feel this gives local shops a chance to boom again. The gift shop managed to survive throughout 2020 and Mr Watmore hopes it will thrive in its new location. Whilst many have been shopping local to support independent stores, the pandemic has seen 19 shops close in the city centre. City Councillor Lynn Denham said it is good to see life and shoppers back on the high street. While it is sad that some of the national retail giants may have abandoned Worcester, it is our local independent shops which make the city special. Independent businesses struggled throughout lockdown when restrictions meant non-essential stores had to remain shut. Councillor Denham said, These are the businesses which are committed to Worcester and worked really hard to be creative and weather the Covid storm. We need to welcome them back and support them to be resilient and grow. Restaurants have the option of outdoor dining now, with up to two households allowed at each table. Councillor Denham said, The pavement cafes have a great new feel on a sunny day. It is a pity that not all our favourite coffee shops have the outside space to reopen under present Covid rules. If everyone remains careful, indoor dining can be back on the menu next month. The 
flag of St George was not flying over Worcester Cathedral last week for an unexpected reason. The flag normally flies over the city on April the 23rd, as the cathedral marks St George's Day. This year, though, the flag was absent. According to Worcester Cathedral, the reason for no St George's Cross was because two peregrine falcons are nesting in the, lo- in the tower. For this reason, the flag was not raised to avoid disrupting the birds. According to the RSPB, peregrines are a Schedule 1 listed bird species and are protected. Peregrines were at a low point in the 1960s due to human persecution and the impact of pesticides in the food chain. Improved legislation and protection has helped the birds to recover and they have now expanded into many urban areas. The trust that runs the county's three main hospitals has spoken out amid reports it potentially lost more than £3 million in missed appointments. The trust has released a statement addressing the 19,865 missed appointments out of the 514,220 booked between April and December last year. Matthew Hopkins, Trust Chief Executive, said we would urge any patients who no longer need their appointment to contact us at the earliest opportunity so that time can be used for the benefit of other patients. Mr Hopkins appealed to the public after NHS digital digital data revealed the shocking figures that no-shows were potentially costing the NHS £760 million nationwide. This equates to 5 million missed appointments across the country. He said, We understand that during the pandemic, patients may have been reluctant to come into a hospital setting for an appointment, which is one of the reasons we have been offering telephone or video outpatient consultations to as many patients as possible. Whilst many have complained of the long waiting list to see their GP, Statistics show that many of the missed appointments coincided with the peak of the pandemic. On the Worcester News Facebook site, one reader said, What we all forget is that we were in a national pandemic and there was no known cure for this infection. Complaints of long wait times and cancelled hospital appointments have since aired on our Facebook page. One user saying, I have 16 letters from the last year of appointments being made, 10 cancelled the same day. Mr Hopkins said, flexible options will be continued because we know they offer many patients greater convenience. For those patients who need a face-to-face appointment as the pandemic eases, we are now able to make more of these available. Whatever type of appointment people are offered, our message is the same. Please keep it or cancel it. More than 150 households in Worcester were assessed as homeless or threatened with homelessness last winter, figures show. Nationally, the number of people identified as homeless has risen slightly, as shelters say there is a clear danger of the problem worsening further when the pandemic measures are lifted. But a national decrease in the threat of homelessness comes as the government and local authorities sought to ensure as many people as possible had roofs over their heads during the COVID-19 pandemic. 
Between October and December last year, 75 families or individuals in Worcester were identified as homeless by the council, down from 84 the year before. Ministry of Housing, Communities and Local Governments government figures show. A further 79 households were eligible for council help as they were at risk of homelessness in winter 2020, up from 76 in 2019. Pandemic measures, including the Everyone In scheme, which saw local authorities work to provide emergency accommodation to as many people in need as possible, a restriction on evictions and lengthened notice periods for landlords, contributed to significant changes to England's statutory homelessness levels, according to the MHCLG. Their latest figures show that 33,990 households were identified as homeless last winter across England, a rise of 0.5% compared to the same period in 2019. There were 53 households in temporary accommodation in Worcester on December 31, 2020, one fewer than the year before and including 45 children. While at the same time the council assessed at least four individuals or families as sleeping rough in the area. An historic Worcestershire hotel remains permanently closed after the coronavirus pandemic saw it go out of business. Chateau Impney near Drawtwich closed permanently back in March 2020 as the lockdown hit the hospitality sector. Despite the closure, some businesses still remain on site though the hotel remains closed. There is an Airbnb listing at the iconic building, as well as a classic car company, which still operates out of the site. Earlier this year, the Impney Estates, the company in charge of the site, applied to Witchhaven District Council for permission to install additional security gates to keep intruders out. In the plans, the applicants said they had experienced antisocial behaviour and wanted to protect their businesses on site. Their planning documents said, In March 2020, the Chateau Impney Hotel and Exhibition Centre permanently closed as a consequence of the COVID-19 pandemic. On closure, we experienced antisocial behaviour and damage to property. As such, immediate security measures were required. While the hotel has ceased trading, there are other businesses still operating from the Impney estate. Manual gates proved, even in the short term, an unviable option, i.e. when closed and locked, business customers could not access the Impney estate, impacting on the trade of the tenant businesses, along with impacting on the residential tenants' and residential neighbours' access to their properties. However, if left open... This posed a security risk to the Impney estate, which, as mentioned above, includes a Grade 2 star listed property. Councillors approved the plans when they met on March the 9th this year. One of the most popular county events, the Chateau Impney Hill Climb, was due to take place in the summer of 2020, but this too had to be cancelled due to the pandemic and closure of the hotel. 
The Chateau Impney building was built between 1873 and 1875, commissioned by John Corbett MP with a brief to design a grand chateau in the style of Louis XIII. Since then it was turned into a hotel, being taken over by Greyfort, the Impney estate, in 2012 and extensively refurbished. This included refitting 25 rooms in the main chateau and nine apartments in the old stable block. In March 2020, the owners announced the hotel would be closing permanently as a result of the pandemic. Academics at the University of Worcester and Worcester Cathedral have joined forces for a new series of talks addressing religion in modern life. The online sessions will take issues of general interest and relate them to themes in the study of religion. Topics include the digital afterlife, the spiritual aspects of the experience of ageing, the environment, faith schools and women bishops. The talks, which are due to start later this month and run over the summer, are open to the general public and designed to be accessible to all, both people of faith and those with no faith. One of the organisers, Darren Aldridge, Professor of Early Modern History at the University, said Our speakers will address a range of thought-provoking topics related to religion. The aim is to engage people with the religious dimension of topics in the news and other themes of general interest, to look at issues in ways that perhaps people haven't considered before. For instance, Climate change can be viewed from a religious perspective as it involves our relationship with the created world around us. The six speakers are a combination of University of Worcester academics and external contributors, some from the church, organised by the university's Religion and Society Research Group in collaboration with cathedral colleagues. The lectures are uh, the lectures continue the relationship between the group and cathedral. The series opens on Wednesday, April 25th at 5pm when the university's Professor of Higher Education Research, Maggie Savin Baden, will explore digital afterlife, the continuation of an active or passive digital presence after death, whether through digital memorialization or the creation of a digital in immortal. She will present the initial findings of a study that examined how digital media and the creation of digital immortals affected religious understandings of death and the afterlife. Right, the website address https colon double forward slash sway.office that's s-w-a-y dot office dot com forward slash lowercase letter r capital d-v-i-b-b a number one lowercase s-e capital f lowercase O and then a one capital S R lowercase E X a question mark lowercase R E F 
equals capital L I N K. I think the um, easiest thing to do would be to Google, <laughs> um, pick out some words from the article I've read and Google some of them and see what comes up. <laughs> Each April, there is a small gathering in Worcester Cathedral to remember the brave mounted men from Worcestershire who fought in the actions at Agoratina and Katia in the First World War. This small service was cancelled in 2020 due to the COVID-19 pandemic, but the Friends of the Worcestershire Yeomanry Museum declared that this year the commemoration will take place. A small gathering following COVID guidelines has taken place at the Yeomanry Memorial in Cripplegate Park, and that was last weekend. Uh, it allowed everyone to take part from home, and um, it was on Friends' Facebook page. In 1916, a detachment of Yeomanry were ordered to guard a small party of Royal Engineers asked to dig wells at Ogoratina. This small force was attacked by over 3,000 Turks in the early hours of Easter Sunday, April the 23rd, 1916. The county men were soon overrun and the victorious enemy then charged the main body of yeomanry based at Katia. Aided by the Warwickshire Yeomanry and the Gloucestershire Hussars, the Worcestershire Yeomanry were soon involved in battle. By the end of the day, 85% of Worcestershire yeomanry had been killed or captured. Nine officers and 101 other ranks killed, with a further 235 officers and other ranks captured. Gautier Day Online took place on April the 24th and involved a number of posts on the Friends Facebook page which explained the action and there was also a free Zoom talk delivered by historian Stuart Hadaway which obviously we will have missed. Stuart has written many books on the campaign including the popular book Pyramids and Fleshpots. A rejected plan to build a two-bed house behind a garden in a narrow city street will still not be allowed to go ahead after an appeal was thrown out by a government inspector. The plan to build the home in Berwick Street was rejected by the City Council in September last year over fears it would not fit in with neighbouring houses. Applicant Kevin Ford had lodged an appeal with the government's planning inspectorate to get the refusal overturned but his plan was rejected again. A planning report by the council's officers which set out the rejection said the new home would be out of character and cramped. In the opinion of the local planning authority, the erection of a dwelling on the site as proposed would constitute inappropriate overdevelopment of the site that would also unacceptably compromise the established character and appearance of the site and surrounding areas and standards of residential amenity for both the neighbouring residents and future residents of the proposed development. The report said the home would look cramped and contrived if built because of its small size. The design would be inconsistent with surrounding houses and be intrusive for neighbours. 
It is considered that one of the defining characteristics of the area along the frontage of Berwick Street is the inclusion of front doors in the principal elevation facing the road. As proposed, I consider the proposal would be discordant with this aspect of the character and appearance of the street scene. Several objections were submitted by neighbours when the plan was put forward last year. One neighbour in Berwick Street said, This will significantly reduce the amount of sunlight in our garden. It will also make it feel enclosed and we will be overlooked in our garden. Parking is already limited on the road with everyone using pavements causing limited access and danger for families with pushchairs and wheelchairs. A TV appeal to raise money for a new landmark mosque in Worcester received more than £100,000 in donations in just a few hours. The charity appeal was part of attempts to raise the £3.5 million needed to build a new mosque on Stanley Road. The fundraising had ground to a halt during the pandemic when places of worship had to shut, but has now restarted with urgency. The Worcester Muslim Welfare Association, who are behind the plan, say they are battling to raise the money before the planning permission expires in December. Mr Harris Salim, chairman of WMWA, said, This is a mega-project. We want everything to be perfect. The four-phase plan requires the foundations to be laid before the end of the year. Although the association would prefer to have as much of the money in place as possible, Mr Salim said it would start the project even if the full amount had not been raised. The mosque raised half a million pounds for the project throughout 2019 and has since been taking donations through their website and a new mobile app seeking monthly sponsors where possible. A separate GoFundMe page has also been set up for the development and that total stands currently at just over £600,000. The association's latest appeal was broadcast on Sky Channel Takbir TV, raising the £100,000 within four hours on Sunday evening. Members of the WMWA gave speeches requesting donations from the Tallow Hill Mosque between 3pm and 8pm. Mr Salim said, We're motivated to bring communities together respectfully and in harmony. There is a peaceful atmosphere in Worcester. We respect one another and we hope the community will support us with donations. The money will be used to start the build of Phase 1 with the mosque expected to be finished in 2025. When asked whether they would look to extend the planning permission if the £3.5 million was not raised, Mr Salim said, We don't wish to go down that route. The Council's planning committee approved the plans for the project back in December 2018, with the WMWA wanting to cater for the growing number of worshippers in the local community. The new mosque will accommodate nearly a thousand worshippers and will also have a separate women's facility which the Tallow Hill building currently lacks. The development is also being built as an eco-friendly space with a library, sports centre and gym. 
The mum of premature triplets has praised hospital workers after they spent three months caring for the babies in hospital. First-time parents Lauren and Jack Mountain welcomed Leo, Beau and River ten weeks early and the babies have spent the past three months in the neonatal intensive care unit at the Worcestershire Royal Hospital. The babies were expected to be delivered via a planned C-section at 34 weeks but arrived early in January by emergency C-section after Lauren's waters broke at 11pm while she was FaceTiming a friend. Lauren said, I was not expecting it at all. Two of the triplets, Leo and Beau, have finally been allowed home, although River is still in hospital. Lauren, 28, said, We weren't expecting to have the babies in a lockdown. The last 14 weeks have been really hard, but the team looking after us have been incredibly attentive to our needs. The couple are from Budley and said they were, dis- they were shocked to discover they were having triplets at an early scan as there's no history of multiple births on either side of the family. The triplets were naturally conceived, which the hospital says is a 1 in 60,000 chance. The couple received the good news after booking for a scan at a private clinic when Covid restrictions were preventing partners joining expectant mums for the appointments. Lauren, who is a sustainability consultant, and Jack, a heating and plumbing engineer, have praised the hospital for their support after the babies were born. Lauren said, Since I've been discharged, the hospital have been great and really flexible with us. We've missed the support of our friends because of Covid and we've had very little sleep, but the team have been fantastic. With River still in intensive care due to continued treatment to his lungs, the new mum said she feels as though the family is split, but they're looking forward to welcoming him home soon. She said, Bo and Leo are like two peas in a pod. They mirror each other's position in the cot and always wake up at the same time. River is more independent. With Leo and Bo now at home, the couple have been getting accustomed to their new family life. Lauren said, we're grateful to have them home where they need to be. We're just waiting for River to join us. And the triplets were born on January the 16th. Residents have been embracing an alfresco cafe culture in Worcester City Centre following the easing of coronavirus restrictions. Under the new rules, pubs, restaurants and cafes have been allowed to reopen outdoors. Simon and Margaret Williams travelled down from Kidderminster to enjoy the weather and visit the shops. Speaking to the Worcester News while sat outside Hotel Chocolat, Simon said, It's been nice so far, but in general, I think the amount of seating could be the issue for cafes and pubs. The cafe culture could become more common, and it was what they intended when changing the licensing laws ten years ago. Margaret added, More people are going to want to stay outside, even when you can be inside, as long as the weather stays like this. Craig Finn, the owner of Triple B Belgian Beer Café in Copenhagen Street, said, It's been going well so far, and the customers are embracing it. But ultimately, when it's cold, it doesn't quite work. 
My ambition is to create a continental experience, so I would like to get part of this road, which is Copenhagen Street, closed from 6pm. It's open because from 6pm it's open for deliveries. And if we can get it closed, or at least the hours changed, then we might be able to push the seats out a little bit further into the road and think we'll have a much more continental atmosphere. The Boston Tea Party has managed to provide much more seating for customers outside of the cafe. Assistant Manager Kieran Perkins said, So far it's been pretty busy since we reopened, but it's 100% weather dependent. We are used to serving our customers outside now, and the new seating will bring a lot more business to this outside area, which is really helpful. We are getting new seating soon as well, so, but when the market's busier, we have to squeeze in a bit because there's another market stall here usually. So I'm going to end now with this week's thought for the day, and it's taken from St Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, verses 13 to 15 and 25 to 27. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So time has run out for the main news, and it just remains for me to thank John Plush and uh, to sign off, Elizabeth Hill, um, and to hope you have a good week, a bank holiday weekend coming up. Uh, And just to remind you that after the music, there will be the obituaries. Bye-bye. Obituaries announced over the last week. Rosa Adoricio passed away on the seventh or a second, sorry, second of April. Um, there will be a private family service um, with donations to St Richard's Hospice via AV band telephone 01905 Raymond, known as Ray Roberts, passed away on the fourteenth of April private cremation uh, donations if desired for the Dogs Trust can be sent to EJ Gumry and Son 6870 on Bisley Road, Worcester WR37 EU and they are thanking Albany House Surgery, District Nurses Worcestershire Royal Hospital Giles Chemist and Civicare Um, Margaret Joyce Anderson passed away the 7th of April Her funeral service will have taken place on Friday the 30th of April. Uh, Limited attendance, of course. Donations for the RSPCA can be sent to EJ Gumry and Son details as before. Susan, known as Sue Montandon, passed away the 10th of April. Private funeral service on the 4th of May. Donations for Macmillan Cancer Support can be sent directly to the charity or care of Bedwardine Funeral Services 01905 
74881811. Richard Lewis, known as Lou Moorhead, passed away the 10th of April. Private service will take place on the 4th of May. Donations for the British Heart Foundation, care of Jackson Family Funeral Directors, um, Delise, Wells Road, Malvern, Worcestershire, WR144JL. Telephone 01684-563983. And finally, Susie Maria Quartermain um, passed away at St Richard's Hospice on the 31st of March. Um, private service at the Vale uh, Crematorium on the 7th of May. If you are invited to attend, please wear a splash, a splash of colour. And donations are requested in um, Susie's memory to St Richard's Hospice with inquiries to AV Band uh, details as before. And we send our thoughts and prayers to all of those who have lost loved ones recently. <laughs> 